hundreds of protesters who are throwing uh, rocks, bricks, the sort of stuff that they're throwing at uh, officers here. Most of the great problem of mankind today is still that there's too much hatred around. Good morning. It's good to see you today. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet or in the chapel or gathered around a TV somewhere in the foyer here at Long Point. Uh, we're glad you're here. We really are. Um, I've got some bad news. Uh, shouldn't start with bad news, but I'm going to. Uh, at the movies is over. And... Um, <laughs> There's no popcorn today, and, uh, and you've just got me, and it's just plain vanilla preaching this weekend, so. <clears throat> that was a little weak, but it made me feel a little bit good. Not as good as the beignet with orange marmalade I just had in the bullpen. Boy, that was good. But anyway, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, let's start with a song, Okay. So, so we've got a new series, and the series is called Where is the Love, all right? So when I, we're going to talk about all kind of aspects of love over the next few weeks. So when I say, where is the love, how many of you think of a song? Okay. Which song do you think of? Is it this one right here? How many of you, it's this one? Come on, how many of you thought of that one? Oh, yeah. You guys are old. Yeah, um, Donnie Hathaway and Roberta Flack and 1972, Where is the love? 
Do you know that's a cheating song? Do you guys know that? Yeah. Where is the love you said you'd give to me when you were free? Free from what? From the other person that you are with right now. That's a cheating song. It is. Go read the lyrics. Just a 1970s love song, okay? So a lot of you thought of that one, right? Some of you might have thought of this one. Remember this? Anybody? First hit by a hip-hop group. Black Eyed Peas, right? Come on. You got it, sister. Come on. What's wrong with the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mama. I think the whole world's addicted to the drama. Only attracted to things that'll bring the trauma. Overseas, yeah, we trying to stop terrorism. But we still got terrorists here living in the USA, the big CIA. The blood of the Crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Madness is what you demonstrate, and that's exactly how anger works and operates. Man, you gotta have love that's to set it straight. Take control of your mind and meditate. Let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all. Let's do People dying, children hurting, hitting and crying. Can you practice what you preach? And would you turn the other cheek? Father, Father, Here we go. All right, that's enough. So, so that's Will I Am and Fergie, right? And that's not a cheating song. That's a worship song. Father, 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 we need some help from above. Where is the love? We're gonna start singing that here. I liked it so much. <laughs> Now, what we're going to do is the series is more about that song than it is the other song. Although, we'll talk about cheating a little bit, I would imagine, as we go along. But uh, where is the love? Where is the love? You know, people say that um, our nation has never been more divided than it is right now politically and racially, economically. Um, our president's even fighting with a basketball player right now. His initials are LeBron. And, I, you know, <laughs> what's up with that? Social networks that were designed to bring us together are pulling us apart. Speaking of social networks, you think you had a bad day. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, <laughs> lost $16.8 billion in one afternoon because of a tweet that he made. I felt so bad, I wanted to start a GoFundMe account. You know, for the, <laughs> so I got about 55 billion left. <laughs> but barely a day goes by, right? As somebody doesn't tweet something or post something that just makes your blood boil, right? And you kind of like me, it's just like, whoa, I want to, you know, my hands want to touch a keyboard, you know. And uh, this week I watched some former friends. Now, they're not former friends of mine. I, uh, they're still friends, both, but former friends of each other, and they're Christians, just ripping each other on social media all about politics. Uh, it begs the question, where is the love? Where is the love? Why is it so hard these days 
to just love one another. In the words of the great theologians, the black-eyed peas, there you go. Why can't we practice what we're preaching? We come into church and we love Jesus and we rip each other on Facebook. I mean, how does that work? Why can't we turn the other cheek again? Why can't we all just get along? Father, 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 help us with some guidance from above. Where is the love? Well, you know what? It's not a new problem. And I'm not even sure that our nation is more divided uh, than at some points in the past. I mean, we, the uh, creative team did a great job putting together the roll-in uh, for the message and Dr. Martin Luther King, and that was a pretty divided time in our nation. And there were times before that that it was. And then you go all the way back to uh, Jesus' time. Uh, things were divided politically and racially and uh, religiously. Uh, you had the Pharisees who would have been the conservatives of the time trying to protect heritage and history. And then you had the Sadducees who would have been the progressives they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And uh, I thought that was funny, but apparently not real funny. They're always fighting one another. Then the Christians come along, and they're fighting the Christians. And, and uh, you've got just all kind of stuff going on. And, and, and then in that climate, <clears throat> a guy came to Jesus one day. In fact, it's a very famous story, Luke 10 and verse 25 says on one occasion an expert in the law, in other words, a lawyer, um, who in those days would be a little bit different because not only, you know, these days it's like if you're gonna be a preacher, you go to seminary. If you're gonna be a lawyer, you go to law school. But back then they were all together. It was religion, politics, law. It was all the same. It was mixed up together. So this is a guy that studied the first five books of the Torah and was an expert in uh, Jewish law, okay? And he came to Jesus and uh, he stood up to test him and he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Pretty simple question, yeah, straightforward, but there's a whole lot in there. So Jesus answered him with a question, which is a great thing to do. He said, what, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, the Shema. Um, every, any uh, student of Jewish law would say that's number one. And then he adds, uh, number two, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, which Jesus uh, was asked the same question in other parts of the gospel. And those are the two that he would put. And so Jesus said, you've answered correctly. That's good. Do this, you'll be okay, you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. What does that mean? That means he, his conscience was pricking him a little bit, plus also there's a, there's a political issue here that he wants to get Jesus on the wrong side of so that half the crowd would be upset with him and half the crowd would, would, uh, would, would be with him. And uh, so he said, who is my neighbor? It's a, it's a discussion of the time. Who do I have to love? Who do I not have to love? They would dissect this, that there are certain people that you'd, you'd love, certain people you didn't have to. Who's my neighbor? And so here's what Jesus said. Whoops. I'll tell you what Jesus said in a minute. How about that? What was I going to do there? It was good. Here we go. Let's talk about neighbors for a minute. Shall we do that? 
He wants to know who's my neighbor, and that's a problem because he's having a hard time loving who some people might consider his neighbor. Here's the problem with neighbors is we can't choose the ones who we love. God chooses them for us. You can move into a neighborhood, and somebody moves out, somebody moves in next door, and you didn't choose who they were. God chose them. Did you know that? And usually, a lot of times, it's not who we would have chosen. In fact, Jesus goes on, he tells a story to this guy that makes him real uncomfortable. He talks about a guy that gets beat up, beaten up, and he gets robbed. And two really decent people avoid him. Do you remember that story? Two religious leaders avoid him. Why? I don't know. Maybe he's a Trump supporter and they were Democrats. I'm not sure. Somebody says, Pastor, are you going to talk politics? Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. Jesus did all the time. Now, he didn't ever tell you who to be for. But what he, what he did say is he would set up, create awkward, uncomfortable religious and political situations to show them that love is bigger than politics or religious preference. In the kingdom, love supersedes everything. And if love doesn't get up inside of our politics, we're in trouble, okay? We're in trouble. And so in that regard, yeah, in that regard. So anyway, the, the idea of loving our neighbors. And listen, Jesus did this. You have to understand that the good guy in the story is a Samaritan, and a Samaritan would never be the good guy in the story in this, in this guy, in this uh, teacher of the law. Never, 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 never. Uh, it, and so Jesus gets to make up the stories, which is cool. And so he gets to put whoever he wants to. And he, he, uh, he does this a lot just to kind of upset their whole way of thinking. And in this whole idea of loving our neighbor, it's a beautiful concept to think about. As long as it remains kind of out there somewhere, idealized, and an abstract concept. But... When you put flesh and bones on it, and you can start talking about real people who are different than you, see life different than you, uh, you know, it, it just really becomes, uh, it becomes, it becomes messy is what it becomes. And, 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 and it, 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 you, it, there are people you wouldn't have chosen, and it's just not a fairy tale anymore. It turns out the story that this one, the guy that got beat up was a Jew, the guys who uh, came and walked around him were Jewish leaders. And the guy who becomes a hero is a Samaritan. And the Jews and the Samaritans wouldn't have chosen each other as neighbors. Wouldn't have chosen each other as neighbors. G.K. Chesterton says this, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. <laughs> I thought that was good. That's great. See, here's what, here's what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, he says, from one man, he, God, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, no accident, the time that you live or the place that you live, God marks that out. And, he, and he, uh, he, Jesus is saying there's, there's no accident that they're your neighbors. You gotta learn to love them because you don't get to choose your neighbors. You know what else you don't get to choose is your family, your family. Um, how many of you would have chosen a different family? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand, okay, because your family might be here. But secretly inside you go, yeah, I probably would have chosen it a little bit different. But you don't get to choose them. Jesus calls us. Did you know that your family is your very first neighbor? Did you know that? Very first neighborhood is your family. Jesus calls you to love your family, warts and all. And the same problem is in the church, in the church community. We don't get to choose who joins. Maybe some churches do where... 
you know, the members vote on who the new members should be, but we don't do that. It's kind of an all call, you know, everybody in. And what happens is, is you, you find a great church, and I think this is a great church. I'd, I'd go here if I wasn't paid to go here. I really would. I think this is a, <laughs> it's a great church, and you know, everybody's so friendly, and everybody loves you, and all this kind of stuff. And then, first thing you know, some undesirables start joining. And uh, it starts to look like your dysfunctional family. Do you know anybody like that in the church? Anybody that just irritates you? Anybody? Uh, don't raise your hand or point. But there are people, you know, you go, I know I'm supposed to love everybody, but there are even people in our church I'm having a hard time loving. I, I remember our first church before this in Illinois. And, uh, and it was a small church. You know, there were 13 members when we went. And we'd grown to about 35, 40 people. And here's what it looked like. Uh, I'd go to church on Sunday morning and we had just a little tiny step outside or kind of a porch outside the church. It wasn't any bigger than this area that's right here. And then you had one door to get in the church. So everybody has to come by this door, get in, and then you just got a couple of aisles and about 100 chairs, something like that. And there was a guy that every week, and this guy looked like he hadn't bathed in a month and you know, did, didn't wear, whatever, he would stand on the porch and smoke a cigar every Sunday morning. Now, that might fly in Asheville, okay? But here, <laughs> and, and his cigar, it looked like he'd been smoking on it, chewing on it for a week. You know the kind, it's about like this, and all drooly, and, and this guy's on the front porch of the church. And his wife was crazy, and... Uh, <laughs> She just was. And, and th then another lady would exercise her spiritual gift in the church at all the wrong times. Um, she, uh, in, in the kind of church that it was, it, if there was a quiet moment, like if there were, like after the worshiper, there was just kind of a reflective moment, she would fill that baby with, with her spiritual gift, and she called it prophecy. And I, there, I believe in prophecy and all that, but hers were like the same all the time. It, Start out with Hosanna, 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 and then something critical about me. That, that was what the prophecy was. <laughs> I used, you can ask Debbie this. I used to call her sister Hosanna, Rosanna, Dana, because <laughs> there was a Saturday Night Live lady back in the day, and this, this lady would do that all the time. This other lady, there, there's another lady in our church that um, she... She had a discouraging word for me every week before I preached. That, that was her spiritual gift, was to find me with a discouraging word. And so I remember when somebody who I classified as sharp would visit our church, I'd hope that all the crazies would keep it in check that week, you know. And this is who I get to do life with. You know, you, you post on your Instagram, you know, a whole bunch of people that look just like you. Oh, this is who we do life with. You know, it just makes me sick. I want to throw up a little bit in my mouth. Because, because that's not who I was doing life with. Still don't. Because you actually don't choose the people you do life with. God does. God does. And, and uh, I just wanted to leave this church. And I was the pastor of the church. <laughs> Debbie and I always ask ourselves when we visit someplace, would I, would I go to church there? We pastored church for several years that I wouldn't go to church at. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's okay to leave a church, you know, if there are, you know, moral issues, uh, uh, integrity issues, uh, deep doctrinal issues, not just something you don't 
happen to agree with, but fundamental doc doctrinal issues. There, there, are, there are reasons to leave. But most of the time, most of the time, rather than leave, um, what needs to change is our, not our zip code, but our willingness to love our neighbors. The, one that, the ones that God has inconveniently placed in our lives. And in that little church, I learned to love the neighbors. None of them would leave. I wasn't gonna leave. And ultimately, we had to learn to love each other, and we became a loving family. Now, we always had you know, issues and all of that kind of stuff. It's not a utopia. But look at this scripture. Look at this scripture. 1 John 4 and verse 20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so he has given us this command. He has given us this command. Look at how many commands. I was reading that even in my quiet time this morning U version. Do you guys use U version? Anybody use U version? Verse of the day. And I, I expanded that to the whole chapter to read kind of the context of it. And Jesus is sitting down with his followers. And he said, This is my command. Not, com not a whole bunch of commands that you've got to follow. There's just one. It, I don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to be concerned with changing the world. If you just do this one thing, that will happen. Love one another. One command. That's all. Love one another, every day, all day long, on Facebook, on Twitter, in person, just love one another. One command, anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. And that's the whole point of Jesus' story is pointing out an uncomfortable situation about who a neighbor was and how that we're supposed to love. Now, three questions. I'm just gonna take a few minutes at the end here. Three questions to ask yourself when you're having a hard time loving your neighbor. Anybody ever have a hard time loving your neighbor? And I'm not just talking about the people in your neighborhood. Jesus defines it as really everybody we come in contact with. So what do you do? What do you do? Here's the first question. Does this person bear the image of God? You gotta ask yourself, does this person bear the image of God? Because if they do, then they're your neighbor and you gotta love them. If they don't, you're not necessarily required to, okay? So you gotta ask yourself, do they bear the image of God? This is a trick question. Because the question is not, do they reflect the image of God? We're all supposed to reflect the image of God. You go, you know, to a restaurant after work today or you go to school tomorrow or whatever you do. When you walk in, you, you need to be a reflection and we all reflect to some degree the image of God. But some people hide that. Some people have really marred the image of God, and that isn't the question. The question is, do they bear the image of God? Because if they bear the image of God, we've got to declare they're our neighbor, and we've got to love them, okay? Here's the answer. The answer is yes. Everybody bears the image of God. See, when Jesus says to love your neighbor as, as just the natural extension of a wholehearted love for God, the reason he says that is because your neighbor is made in the image of God. They're made in the image of God. In fact, the image of God in every person is the foundation for every moral law and commandment that governs how we ought to treat one another. For instance, why is murder so bad? If I was to ask you, why is murder such a bad thing? You go, well, you should know that. 
Well, I do, but you, know, you say you don't kill things, but we kill deer. Well, I shouldn't have said that. There's a few people offended right now, but whatever, whatever. Watch this, watch this. The reason that murder is bad is the, it's a foundational issue from Genesis chapter nine, verse six. It says, if anybody takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. Now, in the law, it mitigates that a little bit, but the principle is the same. For God made human beings, what? In his own image. That's what makes it so bad. They're made in his own image. Why should somebody be careful, uh, or why should we be careful how we speak to one another? You know, the Old Testament, New Testament, is full of admonition on speaking highly of one another. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Mm, true. But look, it's, it's a deeper foundational issue. Look at James 3 and verse 9. It says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, same tongue, we curse human beings who have been what? Made in the image of God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, come praises and cursing. My brothers, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, he says, because of the image of God that's in uh, other people's um, lives. And then uh, why should we care about the poor? Because it's a good thing to do? Well, it is, but it's foundational in that whoever mocks the poor, according to Proverbs, insults his maker because the maker's stamp is stamped on everybody you see. So everybody you come into contact with bears the image of God. And so what we need to understand is one of Jesus' main points in the parable is that we're not just to love people who are like us, who we're doing life with because they look like us, fellow believers to the exclusion of everybody else because God's image was placed in humanity at creation, not at redemption, okay? What does that mean? That means that when you were created, when in, the, in the beginning of, of time, when God created Adam and Eve, or when you were created, he stamped you with his image. At redemption, when Jesus uh, comes and he is to redeem everything to its original intent, um, we, we, we're, we're changed, okay? But... We already bear the image of God. What we're doing is we're erasing all the stuff that hides the image of God. In fact, there's a um, theological term for that called sanctification. It means that when you come to Christ, you are changed immediately. There's a change that happens, but you are being changed into the image of God. You don't just become, you know, uh, just like Jesus from day one, and here's the verse for it, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, it says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. And so the first question when you're struggling to love somebody is do they bear the image of God? And the answer is yes, Therefore, every human being, from, the, from the, the least to the greatest, if they're a, a, you know, a prisoner on death row, or they're a leader in a church, they ought to be treated with dignity and compassionate love out of respect for the image of God who's in them. In fact, Jesus says, even your enemy is made in the image of God. 
and therefore they're deserving of your respect and kindness. So when you're having a hard time getting along with somebody, first question you ask is, do they bear the image of God? Just remind yourself, yes, they do, okay? Here's the second question. How would I want to be treated in similar circumstances? How would I want to be treated in similar circumstances? Debbie and I were having a discussion about that this week, and I think this is the, this is the question that I rely on more in decisions that I make as a leader in the church, as a leader in my family, um, just as a person, uh, more than anything else is this question. I, I, I hit this every day. How would I want to be treated in similar circumstances? See, if I, it, it, what this question does is it simplifies hard issues. It simplifies relationships. If I'm laying in a gutter, like the guy in Jesus' story, and I get mugged, how would I want to be treated? If I made a major mistake in my life, let's call it sin, how would I want to be treated? That's why I've chosen at times, and I don't always do this right. Don't always do this right. Struggle with it just like everybody else. But when, and several times in my life, I've, I've walked into a situation where other people are walking out because of a major sin in somebody's life. And the, the main reason is I ask myself, what if that happened to me? I'd want a friend. I'd want somebody in my life, all right? If I'd just gone through a major breakup in my life, how would I want to be treated? If I was 30 years older than I am right now, facing major life decisions, how would I want to be treated? How would I want to be treated? I have a friend that's, you know, kind of processing older parents who are, are not well. Should he bring them into the home? What should he do? I was talking to it about what, some other friends that he had, and they're saying, boy, you know, be careful with that. That really is, that's hard on everybody. And, and while that's true, and I'm not saying everybody has to do the same thing, but that's not the first question, will this inconvenience me? The first question is, how would I want to be treated? How would I want to be treated in similar circumstances? It simplifies things, okay? If I had just spent six hours on a rainy day, by the way, is it ever going to quit raining? I, I heard it's <laughs> somebody building an ark or something. I don't know what's going on. But if I'd spent six hours on a rainy day, locked up in a house, uh, full of energy-amped kids, how would I want to be treated right then if I felt like life hadn't been fair and I was reaching or reacting in self-destructive ways, how would I want to be treated? So Jesus said this. It's called uh, the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. That just simplifies life, gang. We really live this. What, what, what would you do? For this sums up the law and the prophets. That's the only thing you have to remember. Don't have to remember deep theological truths. That's it right there. That's it right there. Uh, Jesus wasn't the first one that ever said that. He just emphasized it, lived it, and required it of his followers. In fact, there was another Jewish rabbi that was a contemporary of Jesus, and uh, his, his name uh, was uh, Hillel. And he very famous rabbi in Jewish circles, Gentile once approached him, kind of making fun of him because of all the laws that the Jews had. The Jews had, what, five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, 612, 613 laws. And so this Gentile came up to him and he said, what I want you to do is summarize for me the Torah while standing on one foot. He, you know, he couldn't do it, right? So here's what Hillel said. What is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah, 
The rest is the explanation. Go and learn. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Wouldn't that simplify life? What if we all did that? What if in every circumstance we stopped, we took a breath, and we asked, how would I want to be treated? You know, whether it's a, a service at a store or restaurant where you don't get the treatment that you think you should, and you're ready to give them a little, you know, coaching up and peace of your mind. What if you just stopped and said, how would I want to be... I have no idea what else is going on in their life right now. How would I want to be treated in similar circumstances? So when you find it difficult to love somebody, remember that they bear the image of God. Think about how you would like to be treated. Then here's the third question, and that's this. What's the next loving thing to do? What is the next loving thing to do? After Jesus gets this knucklehead lawyer in this story, now all lawyers are not knuckleheads, okay? This guy is, this guy is. To figure out who his neighbor was, then this is what happens. Jesus said, who, who's, your, who's your neighbor? And the expert in the law replied, okay, remember the story. What happened in the story, guy gets beat up. Two guys are Jewish. Two Jewish religious guys don't do anything. And the hero of the story is the Samaritan. And that's politically incorrect, okay? It's just that wouldn't happen. And yet, that's the story that Jesus made because he knew this guy needed, had some issues there. Prejudicial issues, racial issues, religious issues, all those kind of things. So Jesus made him the hero of the story just like if it was today and the lawyer was a Republican, he would have made the hero of the story Bernie Sanders or Nancy Pelosi because that's the way Jesus rolled, Okay? He, he, again, he's saying love is more important than your political affiliation. You don't have to always vote the same way in the ballot box, but you better sure love one another and do it publicly. And so he says, who is, who's your neighbor? This guy couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus rolled with that. Okay, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. What is the next loving, gracious, merciful thing that you can do? Have you ever been in a situation where the issues were complex, so complex that you lose focus on love? You lose focus on what the next step ought to be. Could be a situation in your business that is messy and you know, de deals with personality stuff. Uh, it could be a complex relationship that you're not even sure what the issues are, could be something or someone who's just difficult to love and, and sometimes it, it just all gets lost in the, in the cloud of the thing. Not long ago, I went fishing. Fishing is a good thing to do. When in doubt, fish. And I uh, went fishing with some friends. Here's my fishing pole, don't laugh. This is a fishing pole we got for one of our grandkids. He wanted to catch a fish on his third birthday and look at the fish that he caught. It's, Look at this. The fish is bigger than the pole. <laughs> Almost as big as, look at that look. Look at that look. And we threw the fish back. Okay, all right. So anyway, I went fishing. I wasn't using this pole. I was using another pole. And I, um, I jerked when I should have just pulled. You ever done that? And it did something like this. This isn't the real, but that, it's kind of like that. Have you ever done anything like that? Boy, is that frustrating. 
And so other guys are in a boat, and I'm thinking, what a rookie, what a rookie move I made. And I'm here trying to fix this thing, and I just want to quit. And then I start pulling it. You know, you, you think that if the, the worse it gets, if you just jerk on something, it'll just be better. <laughs> Finally, one of the guys came over, and he took my pole, and he started way down toward the end, and he just found the, the next loop, the first loop that it needed to come out of. And then he went to the next loop and then to the next and the next. Now, sometimes they got to cut the whole thing and just keep the good stuff and patch it back up. But this time he was able to get the whole thing undone just by doing the next thing. Just one little loop at a time rather than trying to attack the whole ball. You know, there are a lot of complexities in the story that Jesus tells. There are obvious racial complexities, Jews and Samaritans. There's time and priority complexities. There's the dissection of the legal and theological term neighbor, which was a big deal during that time. But Jesus boils it down to just a practical next step. Don't get lost in the details, he says. Just be merciful when an opportunity arises. You and I will never fix all that ails society. We'll never fix, you know, the group dysfunctions at work entirely or the team that's got talent but no chemistry, or even the things that divide a family. Oftentimes we can't unscramble the egg and it's difficult to untie all of the knots, especially if you try to do it at once. But what we can do is when we have a difficult time loving somebody and it just comes up like this, is see everybody as an image bearer of God. In every circumstance, ask yourself, how would I wanna be treated? Look for unlikely opportunities to do the next loving, merciful thing. In the words of Jesus, go and do likewise. And when you do that, listen, this is what happens. When you do that, it opens the door for healing and restoration to begin. So going back to the beginning, what if we all started practicing what we're preaching? Turn the other cheek again. What if we all started just to get along? Father, Father, help us with some guidance from above. Where is the love? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your guidance that you give from above through your word. Thank you that it's not complicated. It's one command. Love one another. God, I pray that you would continue to work that in us. I pray that this would be a church that would be a reflection of your love. Everybody's not the same here, and that's what makes it awesome. But help us to help us to do it better. Help us to examine our own lives and our own prejudices. And help us to take the next loving step. To always think about the fact that everybody's made in your image. And how would we want to be treated? Make us that, God, and then it could spread as a revolution. Lord, I pray that today that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.